Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, anyone vested in the world of education. I am Erin Barnes, the host of the show. And today's co-host, I always do this to you guys, and so I apologize. You're going to have to live up to it, okay? He's the greatest. He's the best. And I know I say this every time, so I apologize, but I really do just get the best guests ever. Adam Wilhelm and I started the same year at Epic, which was what, 2011, right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, he's kind of been my go-to. Like, if I have questions, I'm going to this guy. Um, He's been a teacher. He's been a principal. And now he's a managing director of instruction, which basically you pour into our principals so that they can then pour into the teachers, so that they can then pour into the students. What a reach. Welcome to the show, Adam Wilhelm. Thanks for having me here. <laughs> Adam, um, I, get, I mean, I already said who you are, but what is your role here in Epic? And, um, and what do you see? You, I mean, like, tell me about your influence. Like, how much influence do you have in the world of uh, education? Wow, that's a great question. I, I'd like to feel like I have... Uh, um, reaching influence, having uh, the ability to directly be in touch with the, some at some points anywhere from you know two thousand to three thousand students within our own district. Um, obviously, as you touched upon, I have five principals on my team and two teacher developers, and then within them we have eighty-five, anywhere fluctuating from eighty to to ninety teachers, depending on any given day. So I feel like that influence allowing us to meet and have you know PLCs, positive learning communities once a month, or where we do our seasons of Epic once a month. Um, I try and have my face and my voice and kind of my my vision uh, that's tied along with the school's vision out as much for my uh, stakeholders and the, the staff that I lead uh, as much as I can. Awesome. Okay. So when I first approached you, um, you, I mean, you... Uh, are ridiculously passionate about education. You've not just been with Epic for 11 years and that's it. Like how long have you been in education and tell us where you were and what you were doing before you came to Epic. I mean, so I think it started even at a younger age than that, even not just before Epic, but as a child, I've always had a love for math and reading and language kind of all subjects. I think that it was school was always something that was cool for me. I could, uh, you know, get passed on not only just, being outside on the playground and playing, but also being in the classroom and and impressing teachers or, or friends or whomever with just education and in, in all. It was something that was instilled by my grandparents and then my parents followed with that. And so I feel like I always had, you know, the typical, my mother worked in a hospital and she said, what do you want to be? You want to be a doctor when you grow up. And so I thought I would be a doctor, but somewhere along the way, math just kind of spoke to me. And so I started really in education about the age of 19. I was a pure math major in Boston at Northeastern University. And with that, I was able to do an internship. My, my school is kind of different where it's co-ops half the year. So my sophomore year, I was young when I started college as well. My sophomore year, I was able to start working at Health Careers Academy, which is actually a charter school, Horace Mann Charter School, on the campus of Northeastern. We had 250 students that were bussed in from all different districts of Boston. And I was able to have be a TA in a calculus class, algebra two class, 
geometry class and algebra class where, so I mean, some of the kids were, some of the students, excuse me, were taller than I, you know, some one or two might have been close to my age because I was so young where I was. And it was one of those things where I was just given the opportunity through AmeriCorps and through the internship to get a taste of what it's like to be in education on the teaching side, not just the passion side of myself that was driven to read and soak in as much as I could. Well, I would venture to say, while you're not a doctor, you definitely help, uh, I don't know, heal when it comes to overcoming struggles, especially in math. Like you, um, I don't know, you present things in a way that that is very soothing and appealing. Uh, And so whenever I thought about passion-based education, I thought, I need Adam Wilhelm to be on the show. (laughs) I think it it speaks to what you asked, right? I appreciate that. And it's it's one of those things where I started there in Boston. I mean, Boston didn't really tie together the whole connection, but from Boston teaching in two two different districts because I was able to co-op for two years at, with different students. You know, Horace Mann Charter School, uh, the Health Care Charter Academy was a very small, tight community. And I worked at Brookline High School, which had it was the largest high school in all of uh, Boston proper, Boston City proper. And so I transitioned to the Metco program, which was another. A transfer of the Massachusetts transportation where they were busing kids in from other districts into that that classroom as well. And there I was able to, just as you said, these were students that I was trying to tie passion to education too because it wasn't the natural ability where they just loved math or were all engulfed in reading. It was, they were had other aspects of their lives that were more important about the next meal or where they were going to come from or what they were, what that was going to be. And that, you know, kind of led me to where I was in California. I moved from Boston to, I moved around a bit and tried to travel and worked in some other small time jobs with students still. Education and I kind of always worked hand in hand, I feel. And uh, ended up in California where I was not only working gang prevention with at-risk students from elementary school through high school, but I was also tutoring, running a two after school program where we're with the No Child Left Behind Act, we were engaging with students that were uh, having trouble in their daily classes and needed a little bit extra help. So from there, it kind of all tied this path of not only dealing with working with students and in education, but it drove this path in me of people where I can be passionate about seeing the sparks fly within them and and seeing that, you know, I think I was listening to another podcast the other day, but it was one of those aha moments, one of those connective moments where people are on a level and I've had those levels in sport, I've had those levels in travel, but I've more had those levels of connection and those sparks and those aha moments in education, where you're just speaking with a student and you see you're on a, a path or a level or a plane where there's nothing else there but the, the momentum of the conversation and everything else. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to try not to shape the question for the answer I want, but just kind of leave it. Um, Passion, and I hear you talking about math already, but, um, and I know your your, uh, passions have evolved, but passion gave us the light bulb. Passion put us on the moon. What are you passionate about right now? I I think it it touched upon that in, in just my last point of that aha moment, those aha moments. In education, when we have children that are struggling or students or, or educators or anybody at any level, right, at any level of someone's, you know, own being where they're not that it's necessarily a struggle, but they don't have maybe their own purpose or their own mean or their, their kind of, you know, Edison with the light bulb and, and 
and the space rockets going to the moon. These are people that are incredibly passionate about one thing, and they're gonna never gonna they're gonna go across or around the problem until they can hone themselves to get there. And I feel like sometimes, especially in education, we have people, students, and and, and teachers, and everybody on different levels that doesn't have that direction. And so I feel like passion for myself is providing an ability for them to have those directions, is giving students who might not, you know, engage or enjoy math, but then asking them what they do engage and enjoy. A student that I spoke with the other day, last week, I asked him and he said, Rocket Ball Z or whatever, the car racing game. And I said, well, you're working on math and you have different, you know, PEMDAS or you have different just definitions of math. It's just the same as a booster that a car gets in your game. It's just the way that you think about it. And if you're passionate about that game, you wake up thinking about that game, you go to bed, think about that game. We know kids can dip in there and involve oh, yeah. in something and it's just what it literally becomes their focus or their passion. Well, that can be transitioned to the same education. And I still feel like that's my passion is connecting the two, connecting the student that wakes up every day and thinks about dance and, and yes. thinks about horseback riding and thinks about karate or whatever that might be music. And they have that. And that might be their overall goal and what they're going to be for the best in life. But then taking little parts of that connection and that parallelness of what they think about and then just putting that on, a, on their education in a certain realm. That's that's my overall passion, I feel like, or one of my passions. Um, I love it. I love it. Sorry, I was uh, thinking my phone was going to start ringing and I did I did the right thing. I muted my notifications. This is like the first time. Uh, so We're good. I feel like I took a little bit of a, a detour here, but... <laughs> really excited everybody's used to hearing my phone go off so okay um detour to nothing right there okay how did you develop your passion and you went I mean it's not like you're not passionate about math now um and I know you've got the EPAP program and connections how do you develop those passions how do you become super stoked about math how do you become super stoked about making a connection from you know a kid's horseback riding to um, to the schoolwork that they're doing? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's your time and energy, what you're focusing them on, right? Time and energy are incredibly valuable. And I feel that in my life, um, beyond my children and, you know, and my wife and my family, I think that my work or this work, this job has become the, the part of everything, right? It's a part of that. If, if I'm passionate about my job and I'm passionate about finding other people's passions or about making those connections, then it can drive a greater purpose. And I, maybe it's, you know, I had a grad class recently where it asked, what is your, the nature versus nurture, or is it the, the chaos versus organization? And it kind of are, these are natural born leaders, so to speak. But I feel like there's always been something in myself, maybe personally, and then I wanted to share that with others, right? And especially in the model that we have and in the model of education, that hopefully every person has something that they feel that they are the greatest in the world at. And if they don't, then we need to change their minds and make them feel that they're the greatest in the world at. And if they're not, then at least they're on the path of striving to be the greatest in the world in something. Or to, I mean, that's one of my definitions of passion in that aspect is just that feeling of, you know, again, wake up, go to sleep, you know, not every waking moment and every day, but majority of your focus is on what that is and then if, again it's about taking small pieces so something of that came down i think it, maybe the psychology of, of, of you know psychology and philosophy where they meet of not only education but of people and how we learn and how we think and i think that that's a tie to me is that fills up my cup and you know i think about 
my four-year-old sons and the world that they can live in. And not only that, but the minds that my four-year-old and my two-year-old son, but the mind that's being shaped and then the mind that's going to continue to be shaped through their education, through the education they learn from my wife and myself, through the education they learn from their caregivers or their, their teachers or whomever else. It's all encompassing. And, and if I'm thinking about that for my own children, I want to be thinking about that for, for others' children as well and for others, for, for adults, you know, that just because we have children doesn't mean that our education or our lifelong learning is, is over either. No. And I, I'm about to take a detour here off of passion, but I just listened to a lecture um, and, and it'll be an episode soon. Uh, Danae Link sent me a video of this three hour YouTube video. I didn't even know YouTube would allow for a three hour video, but whatever. And it took me probably 15 sessions to get through it. But they were talking about how we as parents, we as teachers should consider ourselves more of shepherds than um, anything else because the, the direct impact you have on shaping your kids kind of wanes by age seven. By age seven, they've kind of learned everything they're going to get from you. After that, it's the experiences that they've they've gotten. And like, I remember driving my own kiddo to gymnastics. I mean, she wanted to do it, but the drive, um, and I'm not talking about, you know, literal driving. I mean, I'm talking about the figurative, the, the, um, passion she had around it was there. She was passionate about it, but I kind of remember, um, pushing a little harder maybe. And she probably held on to it a little bit longer than she might have for me versus for herself. And, um, and her passion, honestly, is I, I know that this sounds crazy, but uh, surgery, <laughs> plastic surgery, <laughs> she follows these plastic surgeons on TikToks and watched, I mean, she watched an eyelid lift the other day, because it interests her. And it's, it was the grossest thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it's all about, is it not? I mean, is it not having the ability for, yes, I mean, and we can guide as parents. You know, I've had conversations about the same thing that my father did when I was younger in hockey, right? Like he would bring me to games or he would say, fine, this can be your last one if you choose. But he kind of gave that little bit of the hand on the back. Mm-hmm. And then 10 years later and, and 30 years later, I thank him for doing that, right? I yeah. thank him all thoroughly because I was able to just, you know, maybe need some guidance and a little bit of direction but also have that support that I, I could have said no, but he allowed me to, to and encouraged me to say yes, to do things. And then passion can change too. You know, I thought to be a surgeon, especially for children, passion, but at least it's there, right? The interest in the next level of education, the interest in watching videos, the interest in, in something that is bigger than just, you know, a, a whatever, a vacuum, it's there. So that's, that's amazing as is as well. And, and I do think that she learned a few things in gymnastics for as long as, I mean, to be able to do a back handspring on a balance beam, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of growth and growth mindset that has to come in here. I mean, you don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to blindly jump on a, a four inch beam, you know, and I don't even know if it's four inches, but if I were guessing it is anyway. Um, so what are some of the characteristics or mindsets of a passionate person? What does it take to be passionate? I mean, and I guess that's a pretty broad question, so I apologize. It's no, you're fine. Fair. I mean, I think it's it's to that point, especially on an educator level as an MBI and then for principals and teachers, there's it, it's it's to each individual. You know, one person's passion may be some other person's just 
breakfast daily mindset yoga ritual, right? But it, it's it, it's on different levels. It's finding I, on my own personal definition. I think it's some, finding something that you can just love to do, and then creating the mindset that that's nothing's going to stop you from doing it. Kind of that growth mindset, I think, is a little bit or attaining levels to go there. You know, lifelong learning is, is something that I think um, defines a passionate person. And the definitions can obviously vary as to different aspects of their lives. But I do feel that looking for characteristics in our students, it's more of opening up and, and helping them define that in themselves. And, and so it's just finding ways to tie enjoyment, fulfillment, uh, you know, all of the above, filling up their cups, I guess, is another way of putting it, to just small tasks and things that they're doing. And again, what, like you said, your daughter loves to watch you know, videos of, of whatever, of surgery, of plastic surgery, that she loves that. That's something that it's, it's unexplainable, right? It's just in the back of her mind. When she has free time, she's going to be doing that. That's, I feel like that's something in a realm of, you know, and it could be video games or music or whatever else. So that, that's the start of those levels of passion. And then it's about taking that ability to focus on those things and then putting them in others. So I think it, it, passion can be tied with, you know, focus and drive and, and vision and all of these other things. And especially in education for myself, it's in encouraging goals and aspirations for my principals that they're passionate about, that they, that they purely enjoy and they wake up and it fulfills them. And then they can transfer that down to their teachers who then the same way can transfer it down to their students that love that, that just, you know, everything that it, that it can be. Yeah. Can passion be taught and, and if it can, uh, how can parents cultivate it? How can parents, um, you know, at home with their kiddos, they're with their kiddos more than we get the opportunity to be. How can they cultivate that passion or develop that passion? First, I think it's it's observe, observation and active listening, active, you know, especially for parents. They have a better idea than anybody else what their children, who their children are or what they like. And again, that could change. Sure. But it's, it's, it comes back to, again, it's not the force of what they want or what they did as what they were in children because passions can be different. And, and of course, I'm, like I said, I've mentioned hockey many times. We have hockey sticks all over the place. Hockey's on TV. You know, we go ice skating. They started ice skating when they were three. My youngest started ice skating before he was two. That's obviously a passion of mine that, you know, it's a different ability for them to have that passion because they're open to it. Does it mean that that's going to be what their whole lives are about? Probably not, but it's going to be a part of their lives, most likely, if they so choose. So I feel like passion can be taught to a point, but there's a lot of observation of who the children are. Because each child, each person, they may have many passions throughout their life, but they, they'll have that that ability to kind of be able to see what they do more. One of my sons, he's into building. He can build for hours and he loses himself into building. The other one wants to dance and he just dances. And that's just the way that is. I can see that in them right now at, you know, a little bit less than four years old. And that can change next year and the year after that. But I'm observing. I listen to them. I, I discuss with them. And I did, I've done the same with many students throughout my career. Is that, and, and students, teachers, just give them time to let you know who they are. And so... In that, I feel like passion passion can be honed. Um, I feel like if you show somebody an amazing feat and like, you know, what I'm not amazing, but juggling, right? And say they have an engagement where they want to juggle and they become passionate about juggling or geometry or, you know, reading and all these things. So I think to a certain point it can be guided. 
uh, and, and talk to an aspect, but yeah, that's, a, that's tricky on that. I think that it's, it's something that the passion is in the individual and you can kind of just, you know, the, the quote, you can lead them to water, but you can't make them drink, but you yeah. also can't make them, you can't make them thirsty. That's even better. You can't, it's the one you recently just heard that you can lead someone to water, but you can't make them thirsty. And I feel like passion is what they're thirsty for. They can drink cause they have to survive, but then to be, you know, to thrive and to be in all engulfed, they have to be thirsty for it. Yeah. I think, um, just giving them as many varied and different and, um, out of the box experiences as possible. Um, that's, that's one way I would think you could teach it, but, but it is, um, it's gotta be intentional. Like, you know, uh, if I've never taken my kids snow skiing, um, how could they even know that they might be passionate about that? If I've never taken my kids um, to musicals or uh, ballets, you know, how could, and, and while I'm passionate about musicals, uh, it's not like I'm going to go try to be in them, but I do want to be exposed to every musical there is because I think they're beautiful. Yeah, I think that's an incredible aspect too. And you said, you said it twice now, experiences, the most, the ability to have those experiences and that, and that is exposure, exposure to those experiences that allows especially students and I think us as educators can work through those abilities to, to just give kids a broader horizon of experiences. And, and even if it's just discussion and even now with the world of virtualness, I mean, you can be on a beach in St. Martin to right now, just go to YouTube and you could literally fly along those beaches and be on those glass bottom boats. And that's an educational aspect where we can provide those abilities for our students. So yeah, I, I think the exposure experience is huge on, on, opening up the doors of those passions for students as well, for people in general. And I love that the web has given us the ability to be outside of our homes and outside of our towns. Um, but there is a huge difference in watching yeah. that video yeah. <laughs> and being in that boat. Uh, uh, the wind, the smell, the, you know, the texture. Matter of fact, um, I love looking at pictures of the beach. I think it's gorgeous. I get FOMO like crazy. I think the beach is gorgeous. You know what I hate? The flipping beach. I hate Being the sand. The I hate the salt. <laughs> I, my hair is a mess. So I will look at those pictures. But being there is a co- totally different experience. And in the same respect, like I just finished the book um, Where the Crawdads Sing. Little mm-hmm. plug. Um, I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was amazing. Gosh, the the uh, learning about the little ecosystems of the uh, coastal marsh system. I mean, it was just intense. I loved the book, but I also know that I don't like salt water. So um, mm-hmm. I I love reading about it. I don't want to go and do it personally. But the opposite could happen as well. I could read about a hockey game all I want, but to get there and experience the crowd and experience like, you know, those kids beating on the glass and, and, uh, it's a whole new world that, that will create, I mean, that, that brings like enthusiasm and excitement where it's just reading about it or watching it on TV isn't necessarily the same experience. So I, I completely agree. I do feel like the, the ability even just from what you touched upon with reading is, is huge though. I mean, that's half the reason that, you know, one of the other than educationally that fiction books are out there is because you can take yourself and place yourself somewhere else. And to give that ability for our students 
that can create passion in, in just where they want to be and who they want to be as well. So I do feel like that's where it can be taught, even if it's just guiding them on the right aspects of, you know, of just reading more too. You know, uh, and it brings to mind, this isn't in my notes or anything, but I'll, I'll add it later and I'll add his channel. Um, there's this guy, Tyler DeWitt. He gave a Ute, I mean, a TED talk on um, basically uh, the people who are writing these textbooks for middle schoolers and high schoolers are these college academics who are really writing to show what they know uh, versus creates passion in students. And he takes the idea of um, you'll learn it in, in, I think he said like seventh or eighth grade uh, science. It's, it's a life science, but um, he takes this, this virus and breaks it down to like the bad guy and the good guy. And he tells this whole story. And I was like hanging on every word. I've never been so interested in viruses and bacteria as I was watching his Ted talk. And then he's got a whole YouTube channel now where he's teaching high school, uh, science to, to these kids. And I thought, you know what? That's awesome. That's awesome. And so are are those not the best teachers though? The ones that can take whatever realm and the definition of best is obviously, you know, it can be a little gray, but are those not teachers that maybe the passionate ones that have taken it on the, on their own accord and created an aspect that's not just a rigid textbook or a, a linear ABCD. It's all encompassing. It has scope and sequence, but it has drive and a story. Yeah. And that's what I feel, especially encouraging in our, in our educators is giving them the ability to meet their students and from our model, especially on a, on a level where they are and then create that world that is just next level, you know, encompassing right the kids just love it they want to go to school they want to learn what's next they want to learn i mean that's a perfect example of, of you know tyler dewitt and his, his explanation i feel as well and we'll link that in the show notes but that was i think that's another thing where you've got to know your kid you've got to know the kid that you're <laughs> teaching um i several people know uh you may listening may or may not know like i am a high school dropout who now has a master's degree and is currently looking into the next level. Um, but uh, I hated school. I don't feel like anybody taught me, the student. They taught, you know, what they were supposed to teach and they taught, you know, what had been taught before them. And I just remember the very first time I decided to take a lesson and really like dramatize it. Um, I, showed up to school in a full length ball gown. Um, my hair was up, my makeup was done and I burst through the doors and gave this acceptance speech in, um, all these various forms of formative, uh, figurative language. And then, um, the kids were just like, what on earth is this crazy woman doing? And then I assigned them each a song. Each song had a type of figurative language, like while my guitar gently weeps and uh, the river by Garth Brooks. I mean, we took all these songs, dissected them for their figurative language. And then they wrote acceptance speeches using all of that type of figurative language, um, accepting the, the award that um, they were getting for the best, uh, uh, investigator of figurative language. Anyway, it was really dorky, really stupid, fifth grade, but guess what? Those kids really know and understand figurative language. And I just remember thinking, school doesn't have to be so lame. It, it just doesn't have to be so lame. We can take our passions and, and push them in as well. So, 
I think that's fantastic. I mean, it goes back to, you know, overall, one of my main goals, one of my things I'm passionate about is getting school to be more, yeah, I mean, cool is what you can say as it is, but something that people want to do. It's not, it's not that you have to wake up and you dread learning or learning about the universe or reading, you know, whatever famous writing or poem, but that's it. There's something in there and it, and it you know, something you always hear, when am I going to use this in real life? Mm. That, that, some, that the transition of that, that question or that statement is that you use it all the time. It becomes a part of you, the challenge in you, the, the, the outside the box thinking in you when you don't understand the math problem and people that are not math brain oriented, there's a way for them to do so. It's getting rid of the blocks and, and the mental block that they've created on their own. Anybody can learn anything at any given point. It's just the facts. It might be more difficult because they've created a stigma to it, but anybody can learn anything. It might take more time and effort too, but at the same point, it, the ability is there. Yeah. I, for on that topic of when am I ever going to have to use this? Um, I posted a meme the other day, Adam, on Facebook that talked about let's grow up and get married so that we can spend every day driving to practice and then relearning algebra. Uh, I don't, I would say that in my, in my real world job, I don't use algebra every single day, but guess where I do use algebra every single day? Teaching my own kid. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's even that aspect of the teaching of your own kid, right? Yes, algebra on online, or I mean, it's everywhere. It's in every, math is literally a language that's behind everything. But at the same point, it's the ability to learn that language is the key. Even yeah. though you don't use algebra, you use the ability to new to learn new things. You use the ability to think outside the box, to come up with questions for podcasts. Your daughter will use the ability to transfer in what she wants to do next in her life. That, that's part of that thinking, and that's yeah. thinking of everything. And to understand that it's a challenge, and then there's a, a finite, definitive answer that might be difficult to get to, but then you're attaining it, that I feel like that's where I try and tie in the passions that the success of it or even the difficulty of it can all be part of the success and difficulties of our lives. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's literally a metaphor for where people are and where they can go is if you struggle through a problem, well, there's going to be some sort of problem that's outside the box later in your life with loved ones, with, you know, pets, with anything, with, with you know, driver's tests, any ability that you're tested on, you can put in those the same aspects of what you struggle with and not just math and science and any, in any subject or any material and transfer it to the future. And so I feel like that's, that's that teaching of understanding of, you know, that, that it's about the struggle sometimes too. I would say, um, as far as out of the box thinking, I've had to do more out of the box thinking, uh, as a leader and as a boss than I've ever had to do in my entire life. Uh, you know, I mean, you learning to think outside of the box is something that will end up promoting you, whether it be in your job or in a skill, uh, you've got to be able to think outside the box. What are, what are some uh, barriers that prevent passion in ourselves and in our students, our teachers, our, our families? What are some barriers? I mean, I touched upon before, you know, People create their own stigmas. I can't. I won't. I'm. I'm not able to. This isn't for me. You know, when you when you're, you know, being un, being impeccable with your word, but even being impeccable with your word in a manner which you're taking yourself down a notch, is is and you hear it so much. I mean, I was at the park last night with my boys, and there were two two probably middle school high school kids playing basketball, <clears throat> and they were just ragging on each other, which is fine, but they were it was just such a rag 
that they would start ragging on themselves. Oh, I, I suck. Or I do this. Or I, I'm horrible at this. When we, especially students, you don't realize when you put those those little inclinations that you cannot do something in your mind, then it literally it adds up and it builds a barrier. And, and that I've seen it more in math than I've seen it with anything else in my yeah. life. Is that you can't, of course. Well, why can't you? Well, maybe you had a class when you were in first or second grade, or you struggled and needed a little bit more time, or needed to be individualized on your multiplication tables, and you never had that. Well, you still can, right? We have thirty. We have people that, same as you said, high school dropouts that years later are getting their master's, PhDs, and they didn't have the, the ability. Maybe even simple algebra, right? Yeah. But they have to later in life, and they figure out just as a language, just as you know, the internet is new. People are still figuring out the internet. We were teaching a teacher how to use email years back, right? That's new to some people because they never had the aspects to use it, but they were able, and that path was able to be written on their own by taking down some of their barriers. So I feel like to answer your question best, it's that you know, it's the barriers are there from a lot of what is on built on their own uh, by by you know self doubt or. And yes, some, and as a math teacher, I've seen some students that struggle more with math than others, but then it's the time and energy that they give to that math. Yeah. You know, if, if they want to be successful, with, and that goes to anything, it's successful uh, or even capable at a certain level, then it comes to understanding you don't need to know it all now and that you're going to work and you're going to work hard until you do know what you need to know. And, and I feel like um, those, so that those barriers are really just, set up from ourselves, from our students, from, is it the same thing? If you're telling yourself that you do not have the ability to do something, then most likely you're not going to have that ability to do so. So to transition that to, to positivity, solution-orientedness, you know, find solutions when positive, when problems arise or when they evolve and, and you know, you're, you're about going forward. And again, that, that passion, you know, I've got a great quote from my assistant superintendent today. She was talking about Stephen Kobe about you have positive seeds and negative seeds, right? And you have the ability to plant both and to water both. When you water a negative garden, then you're going to have more negativity that surrounds you. When you water your positive garden, you have more positivity that surrounds you. And I feel like that's transitions from my leader as a managing director or my position as a managing director to what I am trying to instill in my principals to what they hopefully instill in their teachers to then with their teachers and still in their students is that we're going to water that positive garden and eradicate those barriers in order to, you know, find what makes us tick and drive and, and have it just not be a, I'm focusing on passion just in school because I have to, but your whole day, school part of that whole day and work part of that whole day becomes your overall guidance and, and passion as well. So I've, I've got these books and I'm about to show them to you, but I think one of the um, the worst negative self-talks that isn't really a negative self-talk, but how powerful it can become is uh, I'm just not a math person. I'm just not a reader, you know, and that that's not really saying I suck, but it is definitely a barrier. So it's a pigeonhole. You're pigeonholing yourself. And yes, yeah. you're creating a barrier. Exactly. So I've got, uh, these two were given to me by um, our a former special ed director. I've got painless algebra and painless geometry. And the way that it breaks those down is flipping amazing. And then I don't know if you've seen, um, do you remember the Wonder Years, the, the show? So Danica McKellar was Winnie Cooper. And she is actually a brilliant woman. She um, is quite a mathematician. And she's got Kiss My Math 
Um, this is pre-algebra, and it is written in a way that feels like it's, I don't know, like one of those teen magazines. Uh, mm. She's got Math Doesn't Suck, How to Survive Middle School Math, and I've got Hot X Algebra Exposed, and this is uh, working through Algebra 1 and all the concepts in different ways that when you get, uh, and, and it's not like a textbook, but when you get to that section in your textbook and say you're thinking about linear equations, you can flip open to linear equations and see how she explains it and then apply that method or that technique to your actual textbook or uh, math book. And, and there are practice problems in there, but it's, it's more of a technique or an approach to mathematics so that everybody can be a math person. That's it. It's a language at the end of the day and a language of repetition, right? We start when we're very young, you know, learning how to, how sounds start. My two-year-old's putting sounds together and learning new words. My four-year-old's have quite the vocabulary because we've spoken and worked on intensive vocabulary. But that's the same thing is it's just the repetition. It really, and, it's, and that's learning in general with anything. With anything in general, with enough time and energy and effort, then, and, you know, it can be learned. So that's fantastic. Um, so currently, how are you cultivating passion in your principles? So we are focused on growth-based learning. Um, we're focused on each one, each principle is an individual on their own as well. And each one of them has their own goals, aspirations, not only for their teams, but for themselves. So that's something that we continuously come back to, um, at least monthly. Uh, it's also, you know, the real team base of our school. We have... Um, many pilots that we're working on, many things that are just kind of new, innovative. Um, we're trying, I'm trying, empowering them by giving them the ability to to what they are passionate about. Again, it comes back full circle. What drives them? If they have something that they, when they wake up in the middle of the night and or they think about it and it's something with, you know, work-oriented or a program or a, you know, a department or anything, Let's let's go. Let's find that tangent and discuss it, and and either draw a proposal to go with it, or do something on our own, where we work with it within our own our own teams, and see what happens. Because at the end of the day, if we're moving forward, and you're trying new things, we're we're encouraging ourselves to to really go. Then it's fun, you know. It's fun. It's innovative. It's the next level for themselves. So I encourage them to you know set those goals and aspirations for their teams. But then even more so, again, come back to thinking outside the box. What and, and outside my box of what I'm thinking about normally evolves around my passions, right? And so then I can pull and then we collaborate and we go in different directions with each other and with others and just it's trying to make it fun. Again, you know, it's it's a serious job and we we were always, you know, ethical and by the book and, and really pushing hard to to make sure we're doing the best for our students and their families and for our school. But at the end of the day, once we get that done and we have other time where we're, you know, just floating, then let's, let's go. Let's, let's float with direction as well. I love it. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show. Anytime. It's fun. I love this stuff. All right. Well, next week we're going to talk. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll tune in next week where we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.